0: This episode of the Can Do It Is podcast is sponsored by McDonald's. Para mí, McDonald's es más que un lugar de comida sabrosa. Es un lugar donde la gente se conoce. Imagínate, tú sales un fin de semana sudado, cansado, después de bailando tanto el merengue, la salsa, el reggaetón, un poco de perreo, ya tú sabes. Uno quiere comer. ¿Y para dónde va después de tanto baile? Para mí, yo voy para McDonald's por varias razones. Primero Siempre está abierto. Segundo, la comida siempre es lo que necesito en ese momento. Y tercero, me tratan como familia cuando yo entro. Yo voy tanto a, a McDonald's después de una noche de baile, que a mí me saben de nombre. O sea, yo me siento como yo estoy entrando a una casa de un primo. Yo sé que hay mucha gente que tiene ese sentido cuando entra a su McDonald's favorito, a su McDonald's del barrio, a donde uno vive. El crudo McDonald's te hace sentir que to McDonald's. McDonald's. Me encanta.
1: We evaluate the presentation of information based on the messenger. You know, there's a classic anecdote about the, you know, the big short, the book, the movie, mm-hmm. that the person who tried to warn everyone who saw the data this is gonna happen. Y'all can't keep running around the housing market like this. Y'all can't keep doing this. He was screaming it for three years. battle he was nerdy. He had some big coat glasses. He was not somebody necessarily that you would be drawn to the way they see. Once someone else who is a different presentation, put it forth, I mean, it doesn't matter, it was too late. We could have avoided, we could have avoided a whole situation had this one person been listened to. And it's a very human thing. So my thing is, what's worth fighting for? When we talk about bias.
0: Mi gente, dimelo, 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 que lo que, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Quien tu Eres Podcast brought to you by Plural. You're right now it's your boy Pavel, bring you another special episode with another very special guest. As a quick reminder, on this podcast, our mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a new guest join us for a very candid conversation around the conflict that they have experienced between professionalism and authenticity speaking of guests the clip that you heard in the intro is with this week's guest vanessa toro before getting into the full conversation let's give you a quick bio so that you have more context before getting into the episode. Vanessa is a vice president of brand strategy. She writes about communication, culture, and identity. She's built her career leading branding and marketing for industries ranging from airlines to fintech to chocolate. This was a fun episode to record, and I'm excited for y'all to hear it. Now that you have a little bit more context into who Vanessa is, let's get into the episode. And yes, you guessed it. We started off the conversation with authenticity. It's such a buzzword, but what does it even mean?
1: It's like many other topics and buzzwords. It goes from being a very interesting lens or proposition to everywhere all the time without uniform meaning. So, you know, just among my friends and I, we feel like, not that it's corny, authenticity is not corny, but the attempt to implement process or programming, right? Grown. As adults, there are experts coming in to tell you how to be your authentic self at work. Don't so say, I just think it's funny.
0: Yo, it's, it's funny in so many ways for me too. One, because I think what people really need, including myself, like the way that I found quote unquote authenticity was really just going to therapy.
1: Okay. <laughs> like Because so there's a lot of inner work that has to happen for you to be authentic, right? Because if you don't know who you are, if you don't have a certain level of self-awareness, how then do you know when you're betraying that? How then do you know if you're not living your values if you haven't identified them? So I'm over here wondering, can a 20-year-old be authentic? You know, that stage of life. A lot going on, you're on the cusp, you're an adult, but you haven't fully embraced, depending on your situation, all the intricacies of adulthood. You're figuring a lot of stuff out, you know, those are prime experimentation years. <laughs> Period, right? So, you know, there's a and that doesn't ever stop in terms of evolution and growing, hopefully. Am I inauthentic? because I'm different than I was 10 years ago. So there's just so many facets to this authenticity conversation that I don't understand how the conversation is taking place.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting too, because that's the first question I typically ask my guests, right? And I always mention like, yeah, it's a buzzword. We hear it all the time. In fact, most corporations, they say, we want you to bring your most authentic self, right? But I, just like you, I don't think we often talk about like, well, it's different for everybody. Like literally not one person has said the same definition for what authenticity means to them. But what's interesting too is that I found that most of the people that answer the question, they tie it back to an insecurity that they've had for so long. And authenticity to them is typically them sort of rebelling against what they were told or they, they thought they were forced to be, or it was like, what they weren't allowed to do when they were younger. You know what I mean? That's what I found. But again, those experiences though, like our families, society, they've all shaped our perception of what we've like quote unquote should be and right. now we're we're in many ways we're aiming to like rebel against that and to your point like find who we really are but all mm-hmm. that to say authenticity for you like when you think about it what the hell does it mean to you
1: authenticity to me to me is that when i show up in a space i am able to act according to my values that what i believe about myself about the world about the context in which I'm in, that I can show up real about that in, in what I say and how I present myself. Because another thing I think that's missing from this conversation is the very real notion of the roles we play, right? In people's lives in relationship to other people. So I am very authentic with my parents. Pero, <laughs> <But> oh, <laughs> there's some stuff or some you know, things I will not share in front of them or with them because out of respect, because you know, we have different perspectives and it's good to challenge them, but not all the time. I I don't want that kind of relationship, right? I'm more comfortable with certain friends. Uh you know, when I'm and that's not to say I'm different people. I'm not, I'm I'm always myself, but it's your level of connection shapes authenticity too right because there's a level of vulnerability and i'm not just trying to be like a raw open wound you know <laughs> with everybody i meet you know yeah. like only certain people get access to that so i just think it's interesting to treat us as singular beings who don't ebb and flow um you know in mood in things that we are passionate about or walk away from because I don't know about you, but I'm growing. Yeah. I'm changing.
0: I mean, we're, we're all growing. I think I think. if you're lucky. You know, yeah, that is true. If you're lucky. An interesting word that you mentioned is, is values, right? Because as we grow, you know, and our values could change too, but maybe for the most part, they remain semi-consistent, right? Like what are some of those at an early age, what, what are some of those values that you think were instilled into you or you think you like held to?
1: Speaking for community or um, holding community at the center when standing up for stuff. That is the thing that makes it easy for me to be um, a rabble rouser, an advocate, a provocateur, is it is not on behalf of myself. It it I find it very easy to stand up for others not necessarily for myself. And so I've even had to internalize some of that and say, hey, V, don't let this thing slide. Because even though you're not pressed about it, personally, it impacts a greater group, and they're not here to say something. And so I feel like if I'm in that room, I'm going to need to take up that space to, to center something I know is so important, even if it's not personally a big deal to me. And that's helped me a lot to advocate for myself. When I'm pushing for a raise or a promotion, I'm doing that for all Latinas so that they are viewed in the light of a person who should be given a raise, who should be promoted. Also to mirror that behavior. I want young women coming up to see, you have to assert, you need to negotiate, don't just be contenta with whatever they throw your way so um, like love of others helps me act on behalf of myself and I got that from my mother
0: oh, um, tell me tell me about your mom like what sort of behaviors or instances did you see that in action
1: you know I, I think it's probably not that uncommon if you are the child of an immigrant um, mom which is, um it's never about just us so you know what there are going to be some people crashing on the couch for a while till they get their papers sorted
0: yeah oh my god my apartment I feel like apartments for immigrant households are like hotels like it's always the first stop and they may stay a little longer than you expect you know
1: that basement though (laughs) you know a temporary address for a lot of folks acclimating to a new world. And and almost needing to learn the rules before going out there and trying to get a, a regular real apartment. Um, anything like that, too, you know. And and some of this might be Latina Catholic, like you know, a lot of moms be on that martyr thing. <laughs> you know, they do everything for everybody else. But what I felt like was my mom. My mom did not want to be, hold um, on, like she says, she didn't want to cause a problem. She didn't want to fight landlords for tenants' rights. She didn't want to have to, uh, you know, go to uh, the welfare office, but she had to for others or for self. And so then it's like, she could not bear an injusticia. She could not bear injustice. I know no one will do it today, but my mom used to pick up somebody just walking with their groceries. I knew, you know, it's raining. Hey, move for, for the lady. We're going to give her a ride home. Just my mom, my mom, and you know, I want her to think about herself more. But she's just always thinking about others more and that gives her a real sense of purpose and service and um you know sometimes when I wasn't trying to be like that when I'm like I actually have plans I'm not trying to go translate uh for the neighbor <laughs> my mom's like criticism of me was Tan Americana.
0: wow how did that make you feel at the time
1: I mean I would get a little hot because I'm like well you came here for me to not have to do all this, like labor, right? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm 12 years old, I'm trying to do my homework. And I'm also going to appointments with people I don't know to translate medical situations, right? Because to my mom, it's like community, community, what do they need? And I'm kind of like, wait, first before community, um, am I okay to do this? Right? And so I where I'm at now is I have learned how to Reconcile and find the opportunities to really show up and to know when I don't have the stamina or emotional bandwidth to do it. I will not run myself ragged because then I am of no use. (laughs) You know, but yeah, I remember my mom, tan americana, tan blanca, straight up slur for not putting aside my own plans, my own ambitions for others. And that's, you know, in our community, that's good and bad we also get held back by that financially.
0: Yeah, I mean, even, you know, <laughs> even in corporations, the idea of ERGs, um, I think they often get tasked with things that like aren't necessarily, like it shouldn't be for them. For example, the last time I was in the ERG, I quit because I was frustrated with, it it felt like I was in politics, right? Like there was this, I, there was a corporate initiative from the top to say, we want ERGs to be more than food, flags, and fun, essentially, is what they said. And in my head, I was like, okay, so I was like, what do y'all want us to do? And the idea was like, well, we want y'all to focus on professional development and community outreach and recruiting initiatives and all these things. And in my head, I'm like, I'm like, bitch, ain't that your job? Ain't that the organization's job? (laughs) Like, why should it be like, if we want to dedicate our budget to have fun, celebrate our flags and for once not eat a charcuterie board and have our food. Like mm-hmm. let's like let us do that. Like we shouldn't be responsible for these other things. Like you're you're giving us the responsibility that you already have teams dedicated and you're paying them to do those things, right? So right. I think somebody on the podcast called it a double tax previously, but it's it's a similar idea.
1: Yes. So you know I'm I'm in one of those ERGs. And what I love about it is that every time we're figuring out programming, is it for us?
2: Yeah. You know, <laughs> and, and
1: and we're like, what do we want for us? You know, there's budget, there's we need community, we need camaraderie, we need spaces where we don't need to translate or what have you. And then there are the what do we want other people to know? What do we want to expose our colleagues to? What's a conversation they're not having? Yes, it's some labor on our part, but it's important to us. Um but to your point, uh, food, festival, fun, claro okay, yes. You know, alliteration is amazing. We need that because what we need is community and community right. is not how are we going to recruit more people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right? So, yeah, that's, man, these, that's funny. BRG, that's a real situation.
0: I'm I'm fascinated by the idea of you at such a young age, seeing the representation of your mom. And, you know, you didn't describe her as this, but I'm, you know, let me know if these are, appropriate. She's bold, outspoken, unselfish, right? But it kind of goes away from, I think, the trope of advice that a lot of immigrant families give their children. It's like, keep your head down, do the work, don't stand out. Because if you stand out, there's like a fear in that, right? So Mm -hmm. as you entered corporate America, like you have this value that you were taught, but then it's like, do you bring that into work like how did you deal with that
1: i very much was raised with that perspective from my mother well my father same household (sighs) head down be grateful
2: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: work hard you'll be recognized and that's very much true in academia so in school top honors all the time they weren't worried about me you're gonna be somebody you know you're gonna be the first to go to college. That's not the real world, right? School is a completely different animal. The the notion of a meritocracy, kick you, right? It's a different game. So my mom instilled, when I had those teenage jobs, you know, I've been working since I was 14, you know, supermarkets, whatever. When she felt they were abusing me or, you know, kind of exploiting my availability, she'd just be like, quit. Wow. Like, right? A very, mom was very Gen Z. (laughs) <laughs> this is not, yeah. you know, my mom was like, this is not serving me. And I'm like, girl, so you know what? I had a lot of jobs that I worked as long as they served me. And then I would go travel for two months, you know, oh. just, you know, but my mom is very, very much one of those one life. Mm. Um, when she was employed for many years with the federal government, she was very close to the union steward, the okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's just our instinct and and both of my siblings are entrepreneurs, because they're not very successful people. And I was one too, till I went agency side, Um, because we don't do things other people's way. Um, We have our own way of moving through the world. Um, And in corporate.
0: But did you start? did you go, did you have like corporate like internships and then you did entrepreneurship for a long time or you went straight into entrepreneurship? Yeah. Was it those early jobs, like at a supermarket, for example, and you were like, I'm just different. Like I just work different. Like how, how did you just jump into entrepreneurship?
1: Reluctantly marketplace, uh, you know, just graduated when things weren't great. Um, uh, everybody was, was buying, that?
0: was that like financial crisis time around that? Uh,
1: 2003. So it. it's, okay. it's, not 2008 problems, Yeah. but it's, it, but it's own batch of problems. And so, and you know, where I was, it just, there wasn't a lot of opportunity. So I had to create some, so very common now, everybody can start freelancing people in school, start all the services I offered writing, editing, translation, early aughts social media. I got in very early. And that's really the reason why I'm even in advertising now is I got in there through, um, you know, basically sneaker culture. um, And that evolved because I was providing those services of strategy, content management, community management, all these kinds of things in the wild west of web 2.0. And I never worked for anybody. So then, an agency calls up, and of course, I'm like, "No way! How am I going to shift from doing things my own way, living my life loud, to a massive organization that has, you know, however many thousands of people around the world?" Yeah. You know, um,
0: huge shift. And what do you what do you massive. mean living your life loud as well? I'm curious.
1: Well, you know, when you're an entrepreneur. You, you're doing things on your terms. So, you know, you can show up how, looking however you look and people are going to want to work with you either because of that or it serves as a filter. You know what? We're probably not compatible, you know? But regardless, you don't need to come to terms with it. Wow. When you go, but when you're an entrepreneur, really, it's not that you don't have a boss. You have hundreds of them. <laughs> every Every client is your boss. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And not for nothing i'm not trying to go back to that like i like and I, this is i differ from my brother and sister who are you know, my sisters expand both of them are expanding i'm over here like you know what i love not keeping track of all those receipts <laughs> um and i still do i have other streams of income stuff i do but i love the weight that's removed from simply getting to be and do as opposed to juggling sales customer service marketing you know all these things when you're a one person show
0: yeah okay so tell me about yeah. you're comfortable living that lifestyle for a moment and or yeah. for a bit you're enjoying it yeah. and then you get the call you, you start getting the thoughts around is this going to work and what are some of those thoughts that come up and tell me about like you know when you when you first start what was that like before vanessa answers that question let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors i wanted to know why some people who get COVID 19 get it so bad Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. This episode of the Ginduetis podcast is also sponsored by Chispa, the number one dating app for Latinos. Chispa is the largest community for Latinx singles with over 6 million downloads. So to all my fellow Latinas, Latinos looking for love or to meet new people, you have to listen to this. This is the perfect app for you to find your novio, your novia or new friends this summer. If you want to connect with someone like you, someone who loves nuestra cultura y el perreo, you need to check this out. Meeting new people is always a little hard, especially if you want them to be familia or abuelita approved. So if this all sounds good, Go on Chispa and find Bay. It's simple and free. Just download the app whenever you're ready. You know, uno nunca sabe. Something amazing could come out of it. So that next time your tia start asking, y el novio? Or when they set you up on a blind date con el vecino, now you can tell them, I'm good, tia.
1: So I went through all the things, which was, do I need to change who I am to be a part of this? Let me go through these questions. I asked my partner, a very long time partner about it, But he doesn't have a clue because he's been an entrepreneur for the last 20 years so the last time he worked was like in the 90s and your boy is like all i can tell you is that when i went to work and wore a bright shirt or a bright tie everybody would comment on it i don't recommend you do that you want to be known for what you're bringing to the table maybe don't bring all that other stuff and i was like hmm and, you know, again, in the 90s, don't have tattoos, don't have piercings, things where I'm like, I don't think that's a big deal anymore. You know, I this remember, is
0: 20- I remember being in college and they would say, like, don't wear bright colored shirts because it's gonna distract from the meeting.
1: Okay, So like a story. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah,
0: yes. so I just wanna empathize with you that like, I've heard similar feedback.
1: And it's not wrong. Mm. I I know that by wearing a neutral color, you will stay focused on my message and less focused on my appearance. But in my case, this color is emblematic and representative of so much of me, of my choices to um, get dopamine hits right as soon as I wake up in the morning to the way that I shield myself or arm myself for the day that I think it's important for you to know that. So I know all the right things to do. And in some instances, you know what? I am going to wear the neutral because I don't want any excuses about why you didn't hear what I was saying. I'm not going to give people any levers. So there's just a lot around communication, presence. You need to know the rules in order to break them. So I'm glad I didn't show up with a bright red shirt to my first interview, you know, out of college. You know, I'm glad I did that, you know, that somebody felt the need to tell me. But I'm glad that I have found my own way and know when to pull out, you know, the black or the whatever. Um, you know, as someone who does a lot of public speaking, I come across a lot of people who are professionals in guiding you on your personal brand, what you should wear on a stage versus on film. There are all kinds of standards. Like what? Well, you know, communication is basically only like five percent what you're saying. It's largely body language, um, it's posture, it's so many things, but it's also packaging. We, in particular, if this is true with human beings, we evaluate the presentation of information based on the messenger. You know, there's a classic anecdote about the, you know, big short, the book, the movie, mm-hmm. that the person who tried to warn everyone who saw the data, this is going to happen. Y'all can't keep running around the housing market like this. Y'all can't keep doing this. He was screaming it for three years. Pero, he was nerdy. He had some big coat glasses. He was not somebody necessarily that you would be drawn to the way they say. Once someone else who is a different presentation, put it forth, I mean, it doesn't matter. It was too late we could have avoided, we could have avoided a whole situation had this one person been listened to. And it's a very human thing. So my thing is what's worth fighting for when we talk about bias.
0: And that's what it is.
1: That's what it is.
0: And I try to, I try to tell people all the time that like, we all have bias. It's natural. I, I forget what you said, but it's like, it's a human reaction. It's natural, right? Like I always give the example, I go into a cafe, I go to cafes all the time. Right. And like, yeah. If my cafe, if my barista at a cafe doesn't look pretty much homeless or like a Brooklyn hipster, like I'm not gonna Start trust the coffee. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> but
0: highest. it it takes a certain level of self-awareness to recognize the bias before you take the action. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because there's not there's because professionalism is just defined as a skill or competence needed for a role, right? So right. there's nothing about the person's appearance that indicates. That they're not, that they don't have the skill or the competence. It's based on my bias that I don't believe a person that looks like a, a nerdy stockbroker, right? Like there's no, but that's just based on my bias. So I love that example. But yeah, I just wanna point out that it's natural. Everyone has it.
1: And it actually is why we survive, right? Mm-hmm. Bias is you have been in the world, you've seen things happen, you know how it plays out. Oh, thing that looks this way equals that. Yeah. We categorize, we label these are all things that throughout evolution, served to keep us safe and alive and prospering in community. Are we going to expect 9 billion people to unlearn their bias? It or takes a long are we, time. <laughs> or are we going to recognize that we all have it and make deliberation about when and where you want to stand up and like challenge it? Because I do think it's important to challenge bias, but that's not what my life's going to be. I'm not gonna be, you know, um, going out of my way to educate others with my presence um, because that's an energy drain, right? Like, it's one thing to just be yourself, it's another thing when that then invites questions one of the funniest things to me and it always has been is people who do severe body modification you know a couple horns you know they'll put some horns get like a face tattoo like okay pretty pretty legit you know changes to the structure of their human form sure so do you know what i'm talking about like the people put like little horns bumps get their you know cut their tongue Ooh. put black lenses in so stuff that makes them look you know non human there's the reptile man there's people who just do all yeah. of these kinds of and then they're like what are you looking at
2: <laughs>
1: really you are an anomaly you chose Mm-hmm. for you know your aesthetic whatever you like that that's cool but when we walk around thinking nobody should react nobody should be looking that's crazy talk that's not yeah. you cannot expect that of human beings
0: yeah it well I, in a more simplistic example right like if that's in quote-unquote extreme example right. right
1: that is extreme yeah
0: i remember i did a speaking engagement the other day and a woman said well like i don't want to be the only one let's say for example to wear like a pink shirt to work for example mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. or i don't want to be the only one that wears my curly hair to work because i'm gonna get a shocking reaction like that She was like oh i've never seen someone wear curly hair right but i think the powerful thing in that example is that what if she wasn't the only one though what if we if many people in the office really loved wearing bright color shirts, for example, but no one feels comfortable enough to do it because of these beliefs that we've been trained to believe around professionalism, right? I think there would be less microaggressions and like people being shocked Mm -hmm. if we normalize it. Like, I think we have the power to normalize a lot of things, but I think it takes representation like you to inspire someone else to do it. And then it creates this ripple effect of normalization of whatever we want. Not that it's right. easy, not that I, I'm like, racism is going to go away tomorrow. If we all wear pink shirts, like that's not the thing. Right. But there are certain things that I think we can normalize that aren't as extreme as like the reptile man.
1: Right. Yeah. And
0: sorry, last point I think is that like, if you look at diversity numbers, right. There's I don't know. I'm just making it up, right? Like most of the organizations have like 5% Black, 5% Hispanic, right? And I'm generalizing, right? Like, I don't think white people know what it's like to work with with, with Black people or Hispanic people, because most of us don't show up authentically, whatever authentic means to you, right? So the the day when we finally do reveal ourselves, Mm. people are shocked. But then we get upset that they're shocked. But like, wouldn't you be shocked if you like show up as a completely different person one day compared to like how you showed up? Because that's what I did. Like, I literally I remember when I was working at Facebook, I had a meeting with my coworkers and I was like, y'all I've been lying to y'all for the past year. And like, they're like, what are you talking about? I was like, literally, every, like, I, I lied to y'all, like starting today, I'm going to start being more of myself. But like, it was kind of shocking at first because they've got to know a version of me that wasn't me. I think it would be less shocking if, like, more, more of us.
1: One of my biggest pieces of advice is like, please do not show up as somebody else in an interview because that's bait and switch.
0: Yeah, So catfish, professional catfish. Yo,
1: professional
0: catfishing.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'll, I'll see it on message boards, advice boards. I have this color hair, or you know, people bought wearing wigs to cover their, you know, blue hair. It's like, no, like we live in a world where blue hair is largely okay. Just depends on your um, industry. Really, you're going to wear a wig. How do you think that's going to be a week later when you don't wear that wig? Right. You know, because you are presenting a package. You are presenting yourself as you want people to receive you as that. And then, yeah, like I'm not with it. You know what you're talking about? I didn't experience that in corporate America because by the time I got into corporate America, I'm too far gone. (laughs) I'm too far gone. I trust if I had gotten into this business in my twenties, I would have gone through all of that. Absolutely. Because even, even, you know, when I'm getting hired in my thirties, I'm like reading books, I'm, you know, two day prime Amazon, uh, you know, how to show up in an interview right? How to um, not blend in, but you know, the first 90 days, you know, I had all the little flashcards for the first 90 days. So I I totally get it. And even as someone who's like pretty self-assured and know who she is, had the moment of like, oh, do I take out? I mean, I I took my hoop out and um, swapped it for a, a stud. I was like, maybe, and nobody ever said anything. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll put the hoop back in. You know, there were little adjustments I made, but not really. Like, you know, porque I don't want who I am to be a problem. I rather we, I rather we not even start dating.
0: Yeah, you know? well, I love the, I love the idea that you said that. It's also a filter for like finding out, like who's with you and who's not. Yeah. And there's there's a different level of like swag and confidence and just experience right like you have a resume that you've built up for a certain amount of time so by the time you got into corporate not only are you confident but you're you're in a leadership position you have a resume built out so it's it is a little bit different um i'm, I'm curious for you too like something you said that was so powerful is like you feel like there's kind of like a story behind the colors that you wear and like there's a reason why you get dressed up right? Or quote, unquote, dressed up, whatever that means, right? But like, you get energy from that. I'm wondering, like, how did you find out that you get that dopamine hit from, you know, wearing various colors or dressing up and, and not wearing sweatpants?
1: Yeah, yeah. I've never done the sweatpants thing. But so I've always intuitively felt it. I could tell the difference between you know, and I wore a lot of black as a, as a young, angry teen, okay, and flannel and the baggy pants, I did the whole thing, Fiddle. I noticed the difference when putting on, you know, a flowery dress, as opposed to, you know, solid color shorts and a t-shirt, just going back 20 years. Then I, the research came out, um, giving this process and this very real thing a name is called enclosed cognition they've done so many studies on the white lab coat doctors wear perception of self how they feel wearing that lab coat but also how they're received you know stethoscope <laughs> changed the game so i learned intuitively i didn't have any proof i just knew that certain things you know maybe a necklace that had meaning, you know, the hoops that I always wore when something great happened that became kind of like Lucky Charms. You know, you have these little things that you start to acquire over your lifetime. And then, you know, as that viral video of the outfits over two years of being stuck at home shows, it is a very deliberate act every morning to go into my closet, which is obviously organized by color and say, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Because, you know, days are different. Sometimes the weather affects it. If it's really, really gray out, sometimes I'm like, I'm going to internalize that or I'm going to counter it. I'm going to be sun. I'm going to be sunshine for everybody I come in contact with. Um, You know, other times it's, oh, I've got a pitch. I need to kill this. I know exactly the power suit that I'm wearing. That is a very real phenomenon um, that I've been lucky enough to know about, even if I didn't ever have a name for it. And it has served me so well. It just gives me posture, you know. I mean, ever since I was a little girl, people were like, "You stand so straight." I just there's something, you know, which is like, what? <laughs> what a strange thing to get complimented on. Um, it's because I'm short. I'm very <laughs> okay. petite, and and petite. Okay. Everyone thinks I'm tall, so they're like, "You have tall person energy." Tall person. And then <laughs> tall person energy, but I'm
0: 5'2". Oh yeah. Okay.
1: Oh yeah. I would
0: have. I mean, it's one of those things that you know in the Zoom culture. That's one of the big reveals when you meet somebody in person. It's like, yes, it oh, is. I wonder. I remember when I first met my colleague at my last job. You're we like, we we're all making bets around like who's the who's gonna be the tallest person. Yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah,
1: yeah. everybody loses this bet.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, she must be 6'3". She's six.
1: Yeah, right. Stupid tall. Yeah, no, little nugget.
0: I've also had some like viral posts on LinkedIn and. The best part for me about virality or just like, you know, things getting a lot of views is not necessarily the number of views, but the number of messages that I get or comments, right? And I'll be honest yes, there are some haters, but for the most part, <laughs> it is so, and I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it like Same. encouraging, Same. inspiring. Like one, one post in particular that I'm like, like my background, I can feel the shit. When I, when I posted my salary transparently, it was a Dominican student or like young in his career. He said, I didn't know someone that looked like me can make that much money. Like what sort of messages did you get in that post?
1: Honestly, you know, I also have goosebumps. You never know who's watching. Yeah. You just don't. And it's a silly little thing that I set out early in the pandemic with the thought, you know what, I'm going to be stuck at home for a few years. And I and I knew that. I, I want something joyful to come out of this. I want some record that showed that I didn't just like wither away and wilt at home. And I say that as somebody who suffered immense tragedy during, like, if we put the real real as a background to sort of the beautiful outfits and looks, mad death, lots of family members, you know, very impacting. So point being, You know because there were some haters that got me through one of the darkest periods in american history where we let one million people die because it is a form of resilience to be intentional to know what you need i know what i need to give it to myself every day without apology um but the notes that i got that still people feeling one thing that i struggle with is that people feel like they need permission like it makes me sad, a little bit sad when people are like, yeah. "Now I can," and it's like, "No, you always could." But you know what? I'm really happy this moment happened.
0: Yeah, you gave it to them though, and yeah. and, and I know it doesn't always feel like <laughs> it, it. It feels weird to say that, like, yeah, like people need permission. But I mean, what's that? What's that saying? It's like you can only be what you can see. Like, see, some mm-hmm. people just don't know it's possible, right? Um, to be someone at your level to not always wear black and gray and dark blue, right? right
1: so there was everything the range from the testimonials of I felt alone because I was doing it and everybody comments on it every day and it's annoying so the few people sort of held out and felt a little ostracized or kind of uh, made fun of or, or whatever all the way to I've actually lost myself I used to be that the last two years took away a lot from me To people sharing photos of you inspired me, look how I dressed to work today. So many dope outfit photos. (laughs) I mean, head to toe, the lip, the shoe, I mean, just so great. And even a lot of men, you know, who probably feel even more pressure than women to not wear color. Right, because of all the implications there might be or whatever. It Other was masculinity so, and all that. Yeah. All the things that are wrapped up in a oh, shirt. Um, so it was just really beautiful and illuminating and it did different things for different people. But I just love that it was as simple as you inspired me to start wearing uh, my lipstick, which I used to wear, but for some reason I just stopped with Zoom to I I feel like I stopped caring about myself and I put all that clothes away and now I'm going to break it out and celebrate because the point of that post is that I don't save things for a special occasion because life is the occasion. Oof. I'm I'm definitely on this like every day.
0: That's all. Every bar. That's all. Okay. Bar right there. All right. Obviously gotta love all the positivity. You did mention that there was a bit of negativity, like anything stood out to you as far as haters? Like, is it similar to the typical old schoolness of professionalism? Like, what what, what do people say?
1: Not a single one was based in professionalism, which is fascinating. It was all the hating. So, you know, I did an analysis. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, I was like, okay, I kept, I went, looked at their profiles, see how trolls, have things going on in their lives. Her one woman was hurt people you know? hurt people, people. One woman comes on and is like terrible, like you're the ugliest person I've ever seen type thing. Um I go to her page on LinkedIn and every photo is a sexy photo with one like and it's hers. Aww. Oh. Oh, si see bendito, you know? Yeah. You know? One woman said and she, you know, it's like you can see where people work. We are on LinkedIn. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I shared something that is about showing up as yourself to work when you don't go to an office. I mean, that is the context. It is relevant to that platform. Thirst trap. 40, like like an older white woman. I'm, I don't know, maybe 50s. I don't know where she's at, but like older white woman. And I'm just struggling with her use of black vernacular.
0: Yo, I was just about to say that I'm impressed that she knew what thirst trap meant.
1: i'm not impressed because she was clearly clearly reaching for some kind of relevance (laughs) Yo. (laughs) (laughs) so you know i had to call that out i was like Uh, you know my thirst trap is not nearly as appalling and and it's not a thirst trap right it's me sharing and i'm very modest i mean, like i'm you know if there was nothing inappropriate if we want to get into a conversation about inappropriate and unprofessional okay
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: she comes back with how LinkedIn is using me for virality and because sex sells. Wow. And I'm like, I'm like, this went viral because people resonate with it. Not because LinkedIn put it forth as some kind of sexy fodder.
0: Yeah. Like I wish LinkedIn did pay me for this post. I did this for free. This okay. Is
1: just <laughs> okay. <laughs> when it hit a million views, you know, I, cause whatever, I don't do anything online. I was like. You know, and just seeing the numbers climbing to your point, that didn't mean as much, whatever that happens, the notes. Mm-hmm. And so while I kept track of the seven people that had to come and besmirch my joyful little project, when I looked at them or it just, it didn't even, it didn't even do anything to me because it's like clearly about something else, yeah. you know? So when I responded to her, she back and eventually she deleted her comment. She just like made pretend the whole um, interaction didn't happen because I told her she was a hater. There's literally nothing to her point. You know, she, oh, put this on Facebook. You know, that was the other comment. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, who's on that? <laughs> Facebook. Okay, yeah, Facebook. boomer. <laughs> right. So anyway, the hate was minimal and it was definitely not even coming from workplace or any of what this conversation is about. And it was just classic um, sad people on the internet.
0: Yeah, no, nah, I, I appreciate you sharing that. And it's interesting that you had this similar experience with just like people seeing your content and really what's really important are some of those messages that honestly, like I wanna print all of them out and like fucking frame like, frame them. And it doesn't have to be like a crazy fr- fancy frame, but when I get depressed or I feel like I forget my why, I wanna look at those and just be like, that, that's why. Like, that's why I get dressed up in the morning. That's why I put up the content that I do, all of those kind of things. Because, you know, in in this world of like so much negativity going on, like you need those, you need that validation and those reminders sometimes um, to keep going. I keep
1: a little, I keep a little folder.
0: Me too. On my
1: desktop and on my phone.
0: I screenshot all of them. I have it in my phone. Everything.
1: Yeah. Because honestly, the, the where I get the most powerful feedback is anytime I do a panel or speak somewhere, yeah. yeah, you know, just a lot of first gen, just all kinds of folks who've never seen themselves or someone adjacent, right? I don't like necessarily getting up in front of people. Like I'm really introverted. I, you know, it's not as easy as people think it is just because I do it a lot. <laughs> But man, the feedback about how it changed their career direction, or made them have a hard conversation um, with their, you know, parents, or just any number of things where I'm like, oh, wow, just moving through the world and sharing your story and and trying as best as you can to show up, really, that's helping someone? That's, No, I do think we live in a weird time where everybody feels like they need to be a role model, right? (laughs) I'm just putting this out there in case anybody else is going through this. I have an infection. You know, like it's there's too much information. Like I'm definitely old school. I just know way too much. Like I'm not interested in this level of knowledge about other folks. But, you know, there's a lot of gurus, a lot of like pastel posts Mm -hmm. about how you should live your life when really one sentence is a bar that can shift the change or shift or change the direction you're taking. I did a talk at Creative Mornings on ripples. That was a theme. They give you a theme and you just do a talk. And it's honestly, I'm not pressed about ever getting the grand can or, you know, any of these awards because I already right now, before I die, already know my impact on a community level. I've gotten to see this person go on to become a doctor. I've gotten to see this person go and, um, you know, get the help they needed and that ripples out and it just keeps, you know, I've affected more people by my little talks and my little things than I ever will with any, you know, $25 million ad um, that's loved because one-on-one connections are more powerful than anything else and they spread you you've seen a dope thing you tweeted a dope thing and somebody else was like they too had to save it you know everybody's got that folder on their phone everybody has those screenshots of that is exactly what i needed to hear right now
0: yeah i always say uh you know people always want to launch companies they want to launch nonprofits, and they want to do these Billion dollar campaigns to to try to change the world. And I try to tell people that one way, simply, is to be yourself. To your point, like someone's always watching and they're gonna be inspired and maybe even get the permission that they needed or the representation that they needed to be themselves and it creates that ripple effect. there that wraps up this week's episode of the Kim Duetas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review. It just helps us in the algorithm to ensure that these stories get heard by as many people as possible. Scaling these stories and experiences is the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. I see you next week.